Hello, Real Life family and friends. It's Pastor Tim with you as we continue our series on Seeking God. We're in this time of a 21-day uh, prayer and fasting. As we just draw near to God, we seek God, and there's all kinds of different reasons why you may be doing that. Um, you might be doing it just to hunger for more of Him, just to draw closer to Him. Or you might be doing that just to turn from some things in this world and recalibrate your soul with God. You know, just reconnect with God and break off some sin and break off some addictions and just, just get back on track with Him. Or maybe God's calling you to pray for revival for our church or for our community or for our nation. Uh, there's all kinds of different reasons why we might be doing this, why you might be doing this. But as we do it, we're doing it together, and we're believing in the promises of God. I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet picked up a journal, uh, you can stop by the church and pick up a seek journal. And each day there's a scripture, there's a promise for you and for me, for those who seek God. And, and one of those is, you know, God says, seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And the last couple of weeks when we started this series, we started about talking about seeking God and just um, the importance of choosing to draw near to God. And we, we followed that up with drawing near to God. And the promise God says is, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And last week I was talking about Moses, how Moses was on a prayer and fasting time and he went up to the mountain to meet with God. And God called him up to that mountain and Moses went to, to meet with God. And Moses' heart was, God, I want to know you and show me your glory. Teach me your ways. Um, and he just hungered for God. And he had an incredible encounter with God. And uh, he, it was such an incredible encounter with God that the Bible says when he came down from the mountain, his face was radiant. In other words, the Hebrew word there means that there were rays of light coming out <laughs> from his face because he had met or he had been in the presence of the light, right? Uh, one of the descriptions that Jesus gives of himself is the light of the world. And then he turns that around and just like Moses, Jesus challenges us and he says, let your light shine in such a way that others will see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. And we're reminded of the blessing that God told us to put upon one another in, in, in terms of these words. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And I hope that brought new revelation to you last week as I shared that new revelation that, that I got out of all of that. Was just when we are in the presence of God, God's light just literally comes upon us and then it begins to shine through us. Our face might not be radiating quite in the same way Moses' Moses's face was. But there's a connection there of getting in the presence of God and then your light shining, your soul shining, your countenance being different, your attitude being different, your deeds being different. And it's the presence of God that we need desperately. And that was the main focus of last week's message was we need the presence of God. That's what Moses said to God in a conversation. God, don't send us without your presence. We can't go anywhere without your presence. It's only your presence that distinguishes us from all the other people on the planet. We need you. We need you. And we have the same cry today. God, we need you. We need you now. We need you in our lives. And we can't go anywhere without your presence. And so I urge you to continue to seek God and get into his presence. Prayer, 
seeking, fasting, turning away from things, turning away from the flesh, controlling us, and putting our spirit back in charge and focusing our attention back on Him. So today is, today's message is praise God. If I was to summarize our last three weeks, I would say seek God, connect with God, and then last week was draw near to God. And today, praise God. Praise God. We need to praise God even before and during and after the challenges that we face. And I want to share an incredible story with you today out of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's about Jehoshaphat. And he was a king of Judah. He was the fourth king of Judah. And uh, he ruled and reigned um, around 8, I think his rule started in 872 B.C. Um, and so initially we had uh, Saul was the king of Israel. And, and then David took his place. And then David's son Solomon is where the kingdom really flourished and was blessed. But King Solomon's son... Um, caused a split in the kingdom. And at that point, the kingdom was divided into the north and the south. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And from that time on, each of those different regions, or I guess you'd call them kingdoms, had different kings. So you had kings of Israel and you had kings of Judah. So we're talking about the southern part. And the fourth king of Judah was Jehoshaphat. And Judah was, if you kind of do a, a broad summary of the spiritual health of Judah versus Israel, I would say that the spiritual health of Judah, which is where the temple was and Jerusalem was, was healthier and they were more inclined to follow God than the spiritual health of the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom actually fell in 722 to the Assyrian Empire, but the southern kingdom didn't fall until 586 to the Babylonian Empire. So that's 140 years or so, approximately, that the southern kingdom lasted longer, just because uh, God's judgment was being poured out on Israel much sooner than Judah, because Judah stayed faithful a little bit better and a little bit longer. But they also turned their backs on God. So anyway, all that to say, we're talking about a time frame here, about, uh, you know, uh, 872, 878 uh, ish or something like that, where this story took place. Um, and so the, the, um, the king, Judah, in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I want to read this story for you. Okay, so let me just start reading and then we'll kind of like talk about it as we go. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already at Hezazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So Jehoshaphat and the southern kingdom is faced with an, an enemy coming and marching towards them. And they right away, he as a king decides right away, I need to go to God. He has a huge crisis on his hand and it's a life-threatening crisis. There's no question about it. And, and he calls out to God and he spreads the word to his people, to the kingdom. And, and he calls for a fast 
prayer and fast, we need a miracle, right? And so one of the reasons why I want to encourage you with this tool of prayer and fasting to begin to exercise it in your life is because one of the, one of the reasons we would do a time of prayer and fasting is if we're in a crisis, if we need help from God in a special way, if we are got our backs against the corner, so to speak, whether it's health or financial or relational, or there's just a huge crisis in our, in our life, you know, this is a great time to just focus in and seek God and inquire, as Jehoshaphat did, inquire of the Lord, inquire of God, and ask for help and to get serious with Him. So today I want to talk about what do we do in a crisis? How do we handle a crisis? Well, we go to God with that. And we pray and we fast and we seek him. And he called for this prayer and fasting. And what's really cool about this is it says the people came together. They all came together in unity to seek help from the Lord. From every town in Judah, they came together. It was a unified you know, approach to this. And as a church, as we're doing this, that's another part of my heart is that we're all doing this together. We all need to seek God. We all need his help. And so they responded in unison to seek the Lord. The story goes on and says in verse 5 and 6, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard, and he said this, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one, can withstand you. And so Jehoshaphat is praying in front of all the people. They gathered at the temple, in front of the temple, and he's praying to God. He's seeking God with all of, with all of his subjects there, you know, and he's saying, God, aren't you the God in heaven? Aren't you the almighty one? There's no one like you, right? We recognize that you are the all-powerful, almighty God, and no one can withstand you. And so so Jehoshaphat is building up his faith in front of the people. He's recognizing God's authority and God's supreme power. And he's, he's not just saying that because God forgot. He's saying that for his own sake and for the sake of all of his people that are seeking him. They're saying, God, aren't you the God in heaven? Aren't you the one who has the strongest you know, power, uh, the supreme power over all the earth? Aren't you the one that whatever you say goes and nobody can stop whatever you want to have happen? And he's building himself up. And sometimes we need to do that too. God, I remember, aren't you the God who's, who made me? Aren't you the God who made the stars and the heavens? And aren't you God who did this and did that? And, and we're building ourselves up. We're repeating to ourselves who God really is and reminding ourselves that there is no one like our God. That's why we're putting our trust in him, especially in a time of struggle or crisis, uh, or emergency. And so the story goes on and says, Our God, he's still praying, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress. Listen to this. And you will hear us and save us. This is powerful. This is beautiful. What is Jehoshaphat doing? 
Well, he is reminding himself and the people and God of all of the past deliverances and the past things that God has done. And he's saying, God, didn't you bring us into this land? Didn't you drive out the, 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 the peoples that were in this land and gave it to us? And haven't we dwelled here and built a temple for your name? And, and we've been here and we've been following you and you gave us this land and this was your idea. So we're here on, on your will. It's your will that we're here. And he, then he reminds God and the people again of a promise that the people made long time ago. And he says this, he says, if calamity comes upon us, this is in quotes, he's quoting a quote, okay? If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and, we, and you will hear us and save us. So where is this quote from? Well, this quote is from when King Solomon had dedicated the temple about 105, 107 years before this time. The temple was dedicated in about 977 BC. And King Solomon is a big to-do. Everybody came. He did all these sacrifices, all this, all this free you know, food, banquets, and all this stuff. And he dedicated the temple to the Lord. And he had these long prayers that are recorded. And part of this prayer I want to read for you in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 6. And I'm going to read a couple of verses, verse 14 and 19 to 21, and see if this sounds familiar to what Jehoshaphat was just quoting. And here's what King Solomon was saying at the dedication of the temple. He's praying and he said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. Yet, Lord, my God, give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence. May your eyes be open toward this temple day and night, this place of which you said you would put your name there. May you hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. And Solomon had a much longer prayer. I'm just giving you a couple verses of it. But he goes through all these, these different scenarios. Lord, if, you, if we disobey you and you strike us with famine. Lord, if we disobey you or we fall away and you strike us with the enemy or with a drought or with a plague. And each of these different scenarios, he comes back and says, God, we will assemble. We will pray to you. Hear our prayer. Hear us, Lord, and forgive us. Right? So this is what Solomon is reminding the people of, that, Lord, this is the deal we made many years ago. In fact, about over 100 years ago, when this place was built, we have gathered here at this temple. We are looking to you. We're crying out to you. We're seeking you. We're praying. We're fasting. We're standing on the promises that you have given us, that you would hear from heaven, and you would hear our cry, and you would forgive us, and you would answer us, and you would deliver us and save us. Isn't that beautiful? And we have so many promises that God has given us. And we need to be tenacious with reminding ourselves and building our faith up and proclaiming those out loud to God. God, this is who you said you are. This is who you said I am. This is what you said you'd do. This is what you have done. And this is what you said you will do. And my faith is in you. Aren't you the God who rules and reigns in heaven? 
Lord, that you hear our prayer. God, that you answer our prayer. Lord, that you can deliver us and save us. Deliver us now. Save us now. Amen? So this is a, a great model for you and for me to, to, to use in a time of difficulty or crisis. We're crying out to God. We're reminding God of all the promises. Now, in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20, back to the story, verses 10 to 12, let's pick up where we, were, where we left off. But now here, Jehoshaphat is still talking to God, but now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. Uh, now what Jehoshaphat is talking about is, God, you directed us, our ancestors, to this promised land, but you did not allow us to defeat those people groups. You told us to pass on by and not do them harm, and we did that. We did exactly what you told us to do. And then he says, see how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us? As an inheritance, again, Lord, this is your promise. You gave us this land. Look at what these guys are trying to do. And then he says this, pretty powerful question. Our God, will you not judge them? Will you not judge them? And, and, and so he says, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love that. I love that phrase. I've been saying that a lot lately. I do not know what to do, but Lord, my eyes are on you. I do not know what to do, but Lord, my eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat says, we have no power. This army who's coming against us, we can do nothing to stop them. We do not have it within ourselves, our natural means, our chariots, our weapons, our people, whatever. He's like, we have no power. We recognize we cannot save ourselves. And I think that's a really good place to be. It sounds like a really bad place to be, but it's actually a really good place to be. Because every time you and I think that we have the power to save ourselves, <laughs> we're deceived. We don't. And then we begin to rely on ourselves and our insight and our strength and our education and our our muscles or whatever, our money, are you, we're just kidding ourselves, right? But that's what we tend to do. We tend to think that we have to, um, you know, save ourselves. It's, it's kind of like the American way, but that's not the God way. It's not faith way. And so this is a good place to get to when you're going through a difficulty to realize, listen, you can't do it. You need God. And so we cry out to God and say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't have the power, but my eyes are on you. I am looking to you, and I'm going to trust in you and your promises for me because I cannot do this for myself. I love that. Now, the interesting thing here is he asks this question, Oh God, will you not judge them? And he's kind of laying out a little bit of a legal case of, of God. Uh, you told us to go around these people. We did. You gave us this land, and here we are. And now these people are coming against us. That's not right. And he's kind of laying out this, this legal, legal case. And then he asks this question, God, won't you judge them? That's interesting because I want to describe to you what the name of Jehoshaphat means. So Jehoshaphat in Hebrew is really composed of two words that are kind of sandwiched together. The first part of Jehoshaphat in the Hebrew language 
is the first three letters of God's holy name. Some of you know this. It's yod Hey vav Hey. And for Jehoshaphat, the first three letters of his name are the yod Hey and a Vav. It doesn't have the, the last Hey. So it's Yahu, Yahu. Uh, some of us know God's holy name as Yahweh. And so the first part of Jehoshaphat's name is actually that Yahu part of God. So this is the Lord, represents the Lord. And then Shaphat in Hebrew means to govern or to judge. So Jehoshaphat's name really means the Lord is judge or the Lord Yahweh judges. And we know in the scriptures that he is the righteous judge of all the earth. And so Jehoshaphat's very name declares that the Lord is judge and he alone judges. He, his judgment holds final say. He judges in perfect truth and with all power and authority. And so he's using his name and his relationship with God. And he says, oh, God, won't you judge them? Do you see what's happening here? You're the righteous judge. Do something. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I love the Hebrew language and how it packs so much into the, into the dialogue that we can enjoy. And so Jehoshaphat humbles himself. And the people, they humble themselves before God. And they confess that they are without their own power to face this enemy. And they turn all of their faith and trust to the Lord. That's what we need to do too. And he appeals to God as a righteous judge of all the earth. And that's fine to do that because he is. And he's asking God to intervene and to judge and to save and to deliver. Because the battle is not physical, although it is. It's actually won in the spiritual. I think that's something really important to remember. In Ephesians, Paul is trying to tell us that. He says our, our struggle or our battle is not against flesh and blood, although it looks like that. But it is against spiritual powers in high places. And so we need to have spiritual weapon, spiritual armor, spiritual protection, spiritual authority. And our authority does not come from ourselves. It comes from Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. It comes from the covenant blessings of God upon his people through faith in Jesus. It comes through the promises of God in the word that God has given you and given me. Our inheritance is not just land like Jehoshaphat was defending. He says, God, didn't you give us this land? But now our land, right, is all the promises that are in the scriptures towards you and your family and your health and your prosperity and your purpose and your, your countenance, and your soul, and your joy, and your peace. Uh, all of these, that's the land that you got to remember that God, didn't you say you would, you would give me peace? And didn't you say that you would bless me? And didn't you say that I'm yours? And didn't you say that, you know, all the, and so that's what we're trying to get across here is through this story, there's so much applicable to my life and your life. So we're praying and we're seeking God. We have our own crisis that we're dealing with. We have our own issues that we're dealing with. And we have to come to the same place like Jehoshaphat and the people. We need to realize, I can't solve this one. I can't do this one. It's not within me. But God, you're the righteous judge of all the earth. Here's your promises. Here's who you said that I am to you. Lord, I'm looking to you to deliver and save. And so 
he's recalling the promises of God. I just want to do a quick review in verse 6, verse 7, verse 12. These are the words that Jehoshaphat was praying. Listen to this rhythm. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land? O our God, will you not judge them? And so Jehoshaphat is praying and he's interceding and he's laying out his case before the Lord. <laughs> it's just awesome. And now the, now the real fun begins. Verse 15. He said, and now I'm skipping a couple verses here. And so the people were praying. Jehoshaphat was praying. And then the Bible says the spirit of the Lord came upon a man named Jehaziel. And Jehaziel began to speak to Jehoshaphat and the people. Through the spirit, God began to speak. And so it says, and, and he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Whew. That, that would be a great revelation to have in your situation. For the battle is not yours, but God's. God's going to own this battle for you. God's saying, it's not your battle. I'm going to take it. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. What an awesome message. The Lord answers, and He gives great insight and details, but also wisdom and courage. And He's saying, I am going to fight this battle for you. He decides to fight the battle Himself. God's going to take it over. And the people's role was to stand firm. Stand firm on what? Like, what are they doing? They're standing firm in faith. God says through the Spirit, stand firm, take your position, and watch the deliverance of the Lord. Believe in Him. Show up tomorrow. Show up. Show up to your circumstance. Show up. Go out there. Face it. But remember this. The Lord will be with you. And it's not your battle, it's God's battle. Stand firm and, um, and, and take up your position and watch God move. What a great message. God's role was to fight. The people's role was to watch, was to trust, was to stand firm on the promises of God. I hope that helps you. I hope that encourages you. And God's role was to defeat the enemy and deliver, deliver the people who are trusting in him. When we put God in charge, then God can be God. But when we're in charge, God's on the sidelines. It's not meant to be that way. Our role is not to fight and God's role is to watch. <laughs> it's just the opposite. Our role is to watch as God fights, right? And so that's the idea here of this story that's so powerful. The story goes on and says, 2 Chronicles 20, verses 18 and 19. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites 
and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they a worship a service broke out. People began to just worship God and praise God. And this is before anything happened. They just prayed, and then the Spirit of God spoke through a prophet. I believe it was a prophet. And they heard what God was going to do, and they began to worship Him and praise Him. They are praising God before the deliverance. They're praising and worshiping Him with great passion before anything changed. So that's why I titled this message, Praise God. Or I could just say, Praise the Lord. When? All the time. Before, during, and after the circumstances that you're dealing with. The people are praising the Lord because they're believing in Him. They're believing what He said. Their faith has arisen in their hearts, and they're believing by faith that what God said He's going to do. So they're praising Him. Praise the Lord. He's going to win the battle for us. We don't have to fight. We're not going to die. Praise the Lord. He's going to show up. He heard our prayer. He's answering us, and He will deliver us. And they're worshiping Him. That's awesome. It goes on to say, early in the next morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said to them, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Wow, awesome. Have faith in His prophets, and you will succeed. In other words, have faith in what God has said, what the promises God has given us. Have faith in God, have faith in His promises, and you will be upheld, and you will succeed. So he's giving them a pep talk. And then after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat, listen to this, appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out at the head of the army. And they were singing, Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. So Jehoshaphat appointed at the front of the army a praise and worship team. <laughs> it doesn't sound like conventional warfare, does it? Doesn't sound that smart either because their weapons were trumpets and brass and silver trumpets and harps and guitars and lyres and singing. Doesn't seem like a very scary army, you know, and it doesn't seem very safe. And yet Jehoshaphat, after consulting with the people, said, let's put worshipers out front. Let's praise God because God said we wouldn't even have to fight. Do you see the faith here? The, the, the full-on trust in God. This is, this is the ancient world we're talking about. We're talking about warfare. Like, th this is real. This isn't just like <laughs> someone's just going to you know, hurt them. The, the army is there to destroy them, to kill them. And he puts the worshipers out front. And the worshipers went out front <laughs> because there's faith. And they're praising God first. They're worshiping God first. And so... The story goes on, as they began to sing and praise. I think this is very important. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord started to work. As they're worshiping God, putting their trust in Him, God set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir. They turned on each other to destroy and annihilate them. And then, after finishing slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. And they turned against each other, all the way down to the last two guys who killed each other. 
They, were, they all annihilated themselves. The Lord turned them against one another. And the people, all they were doing was worshiping God. The Lord won the battle. The Lord fought for the people. The people did not fight. They only saw God's deliverance. The real battle for the people and the real battle for you and me is to believe and trust in the Lord, not ourselves, is to worship God before the outcome and worship God during the crisis, during the battle, the people are praising God. And what was their response after the battle? You got it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise God. And they worshiped God after too. It says here, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value. More than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the valley of Barakah to this day. I want to break this down into the Hebrew for a second. When I mention this name, valley of Barakah, what they're doing there is Barakah is actually a Hebrew word that they're inserting into the English language. And it would actually be pronounced a little bit different than Barakah, how I'm doing it as an American, okay? It would, be, it would sound, sound something like this, Barakah, uh, Barakah. And it means blessing. That's what it means. It means blessing. In one of my translations, it says, On the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Barakah, or blessing, where they blessed the Lord. In here it says where they praised the Lord. But that's just a, a, a different word, but it, it means the same thing. They went to this place, and after four days of picking up all this plunder, they had a worship service in this valley, and they blessed the Lord. They praised the Lord. To bless the Lord, the word in Hebrew is berachu. They bless the Lord. They worship the Lord. They bless the Lord. Berachu. So they call the place the valley of beracha, blessing. They're the same words. Berachu is they blessed, and beracha is blessing. So they, they bless the Lord for this great deliverance. So they called the valley the valley of blessing. Remember when we gathered there and the Lord delivered us, and then we blessed him. So let's call that place the blessing. Remember the blessing? Oh, I remember. The valley of blessing? Oh, I remember the valley of blessing. The enemy was going to make that the valley of death for us. But God turned that around and made it the valley of blessing. What the enemy tried to use to destroy us, God used to bless us. So we blessed him. The valley of Barakah. Remember the valley of Barakah? Remember the Alamo? You know, it's almost like something like that. Like, remember that great moment? Do you remember what that represents? And the people used to call that place the Valley of Blessing. Why? Because it reminded them that that's where we bless the Lord because He turned our death into blessing. Wow! Wow! What the enemy is trying to do in your life is almost always the opposite of what God is trying to do in your life. And God can take uh, what the enemy has turned against you and turn it around for your good. Can I get an amen? This means 
that we put God first, not ourselves. And we let God, who is the righteous judge of all the earth, we let him judge. We let him work and act on our behalf. Our trust and our faith is in him, even in the moment of great trials, even in the moment of crisis, and even, even in the face of death, and even death itself, God turns into our victory. Even death of this body is the birthing of our new existence in eternity with God. So no matter, the, the worst thing that can happen on this earth is still to our benefit. And God is with us, and we can trust in Him. So I just plead with you to seek God, to put Him first, to, to speak out His Word, to put your trust in Him, and to praise Him, praise God, before, during, and after the deliverance that God does in your life. Keep praising Him. Keep worshiping Him. He is the one in whom we trust. And so finally it says um, at the end of this story, then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets or guitars, the, the lyres. The fear of God uh, came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Did you hear that? When they heard how the Lord had fought on behalf of Israel. It, was, it wasn't the fear of Israel, it was the fear of the God of Israel. It's, it reminds me of what Jesus said again, let your light shine in such a way that others see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. They recognize that, that your life is blessed by God. That what's happening in you and through you isn't you, it's from Him. It's from him. To God be the glory. Great things has he done. Great things has he done. Great things he is doing. Great things he will do. And it says, And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. Wow, I pray that blessing to you, that God would give you rest on every side as you put him first. Lord, we come to you right now. We thank you that you are the God um, who never changes. You're the same God today that you were uh, back in 800 and say 68 BC, maybe. Somewhere around there when this story took place, God, you haven't changed. You haven't grown old and weak. Uh, you, you don't have dementia. You don't struggle with remembering your promises. You, you are all powerful at all times in every place. And you are eternal. You're outside of your creation. You are eternal. You're all powerful. And you have promised to be with us just like you were with Jehoshaphat and the kingdom of Judah. Lord, your, your promises prevail just like they did then today in our lives. For all who call on you will be saved. And Lord, we call on you today. And for my friend, maybe who's listening today, that might be in one of these kind of crisis moments in their life. There might be a health issue or a relational issue, or a job issue, or a financial issue. Lord, whatever they're going through. Lord, I just pray for my friend right now that you cause their eyes to be upon you. Lord, we both say together, Lord, we, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. 
Let our eyes be on you today. Let my friend look up to you, trust in you, be reminded of all the great things you have done and all the promises you have for him, for her, for us today. And may we praise you. May we lift up our, our praise to you and step aside and let you do the work. And may we listen and follow, stand firm, facing the situation with confidence that you are with us. So Lord, save us. Lord, deliver us. Lord, bring us to that place where there is peace in, in, in our lives because we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Keep seeking him. And uh, again, if you don't have a journal yet, you might want to try to stop by and pick one of those up. But let me just put another blessing on you as, as we finish this time together. And now the Lord bless you, keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, his favor upon you, and give you peace in his name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.